Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. When we think of tornadoes, our minds are immediately drawn to the Southern Plains or the Southeast, right? Well, the Midwest has also had their fair share of damaging and deadly tornadoes, not just historically, but every single year. A lot of research has been focused on our typical tornado alleys, but sometimes the Midwest gets lost by the wayside. However, researchers at Virginia Tech have discovered multiple different breakthroughs in tornado genesis all throughout our atmosphere over the Midwestern states. Today on the show, we have Dr. Stephanie Zick to break it all down for us. Dr. Zick, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. And, you know, I'm going to breeze in between calling her Dr. Zick and calling her Stephanie because I've I've known her for some years now collegially, so uh, bear with us. But I always like to kind of give our guests their their proper uh, recognition for their accomplishments and background. But before we get started and go any further, you get the question that I ask every single Weather Geeks guest. How'd you become a Weather Geek? Yeah, um, I've listened to the Weather Geeks podcast and before that, the TV show. So I love the question. Um, I was probably a pretty traditional uh, Weather Geek, like Weather Weenie. Um, I was very into science and weather as a child. Spent a lot of time outside. Um, I grew up on, in a house in the suburbs, but we had five acres of land and we spent a lot of time outside on the land. Um, I was also really interested from a pretty young age, I wanted to be able to forecast um, snow days. So I wanted to be able to understand that better, I guess. I loved snow days, um, which is pretty funny because main, mainly I focus on tropical weather right. in my research. <laughs> Um, and so somewhere along the way, I mean, I watched the weather channel a lot and I got really into the tropical, you know, the tropical weather updates. Um, and I loved John Hope. Um, we used to, we used to vacation in the Outer Banks and I remember we were at a hotel and like a, a couple of days later, uh, Jim Cantori was there <laughs> chasing. It was, um, oh my goodness. Yeah. So, I mean, it was exciting. Um, I liked following it and I was very into the weather from a very young age. So I knew I wanted to study meteorology when I went to undergraduate and I ended up going for a PhD as well. <laughs> So let me give our listeners and viewers a little bit of your background. You're an associate professor at Virginia Tech uh, since 2016. Uh, You have a PhD in physical geography and applied atmospheric sciences from the University of Florida. That's really the only negative thing that I can find about Professor Vic, given that I'm a Florida State. (laughs) Oh, wow, I'm just kidding. Um, A master's in meteorology from Penn State and a bachelor's in meteorology from Rutgers. So she's a really a strongly credentialed colleague and someone that I've followed since actually first meeting her on a visit to the University of Florida. Uh, we, we all like to jest about our, our college um, uh, 
loyalties here, but I've actually visited the University of Florida many times. And I, I remember meeting her and was impressed with you, at, even at that time, and have followed your career. How, how'd you kind of gravitate towards tropical meteorology? I mean, I think, so I did gymnastics growing up. And so I was very, very busy throughout the school year. I think I got to watch the Weather Channel more frequently in the summers. Um, so I think that was part of it. And then also just that experience of like loving the beach, got loving going there for vacation, and then like having a hurricane front in the coastline shortly after. Those are like some really memorable things for me. Um, and I guess, I don't know, I, I just was really into, I guess the like kind of life cycle of these storms and following like when you had multiple systems forming from sort of like easterly waves, like, and, you know, sort of Cape Bear style storms. Um, so I don't know, I think it's just sort of accumulation of like maybe that I had the summertime to, to like focus in on this interest in the weather. And then also just being really fascinated by these hurricanes that form like these really symmetrical visual, um, visually stunning, um, shape and structure in the satellite images and, and stuff. Now I know this talk or this podcast is on Midwest tornadoes, but what have been some of the things from your research that you've learned from your study of hurricanes and tropical systems? Yeah. So I have a PhD in geography and then my other degrees are meteorology and my research really spans those two. I'm at that intersection. A lot of my research focuses on the shape of hurricanes. So I sort of monopolize on this uh, this fact, this concept that hurricanes, as they intensify, become more and more circular. And we can measure how circular they are using some basic geometry. So I use that as a tool in a lot of my research. I use that to study um, landfall. So how like they lose that structure during the landfall process. And then I've also been using these ideas to um, do verification. So compare the spatial structure of the observations to a model output. Um, so mainly focusing on precipitation verification and comparing the structure in the observed and the model forecast. Yeah, I've been following your work and it's quite, quite interesting work. I don't think people really understand perhaps some of the ways that the structure and shape of the storm can be indicative of some really telling things about the storm itself. Now, I want to pivot because you have done research on tornadoes in the Midwest, and we're calling this episode Further Understanding of Midwestern Tornado Genesis. Now, that's a term that you and I understand, but break down the term tornado genesis for the Weather Geeks listeners. Okay, yeah, and this is a little outside my millhouse. There'll probably be people that listen to this that are more in this field. Um, I mean, so tornado genesis is the the genesis of these tornadoes, the forming, um, and it's not that well understood. Um, you know, it's not my research area, but 
I mean, as I understand it, it's not well understood. They don't know if it's like a top down or a bottom up process. Um, so this study that we uh, did here that we're going to talk about today focuses more on like synoptic scale influences on formation. So what are the synoptic environments that- So let's break down, let's stop right there before you go further, because again, some <laughs> of our listeners may not even know what you mean by synoptic. So what are we talking about? Synoptic, right. So, um, so there are scales in meteorology. So these scales are length and time scales and they're sort of related to one another. So length scales go from like really large scales, like the entire planet to the hemisphere um, and then down to synoptic scale, which is more like a thousand kilometers or so. Um, and synoptic scale is something like a high pressure system or a low pressure system, a mid-latitude cyclone. Tropical cyclones are also synoptic scale. And they, you know, these are kind of what you think of when you look at a weather map on the Weather Channel and they're showing like the high and low pressure systems. Yeah, when we come back, I want to dig more into the study and talk about things related to the synoptic scale, perhaps the stratosphere and the troposphere, because apparently all of those things matter when we come back from our first break. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Professor Stephanie Zick from Virginia Tech. And we're talking about all kinds of things really right now. We've talked a little bit about hurricanes, and now we're talking about 
tornadoes. Now, I know that this is a study that you've conducted with colleagues. So you want to give a shout out to any of your colleagues involved and then just give us an overview of what you found and why it's important. Yeah, sure. So I was contacted by um, some some of my colleagues in statistics. Um, Mohammed Al-Kuli is the lead author on the study and his PhD advisor was Marco Ferreira. Um, they reached out to me back in 2017 or so um, to get some consulting on these results that they found. And they ne needed sort of some help in interpreting these weather modes and basically their results. They wanted to bring in a, a meteorologist to assist. So um, yeah, um, so I was brought on and we, it took a few years. Um, we actually submitted this to multiple journals, well, two journals. Um, it was rejected the first submission. So this is a lesson that, you know, it just keep, keep pushing. Uh, yeah, and, and we ended up submitting it to PLOS One um, after that after and after some revisions and it got published last year yeah we we all have been there <laughs> as publishing scholars i should take this opportunity for those of you that aren't familiar with the world of academia uh you get all kinds of information and opinions and on weather and climate in social media and in blogs and editorials but the gold standard for understanding science is reading peer-reviewed studies and of course many of you probably would will never do that so that's one of the reasons we have things like the weather geeks podcast uh so to try to bring some of that science out of the peer-reviewed literature to you all here in the public but again that peer-reviewed literature is the standard it goes through rigorous review as you heard sometimes uh, studies get rejected and so forth. But it's just important for listeners to understand that because too many people get sort of lost in this notion that because it's tweeted or posted on Facebook or in a, uh, in a YouTube video, it's good science. And in some cases, it's just certain people's opinions that have not been vetted. So uh, you probably wouldn't take a medication that had not been vetted or approved by the FDA. Consider peer-reviewed science the FDA of, 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 of science, if you will. So back, back to the study. You know, tell us a little bit more about sort of these modes that you talked about. I understand one aspect of the study found that there were more dry line modes in the Midwest. So just tell us what you mean by these modes. Yeah, so we did something called EOS oh, yeah. analysis, which is it's a statistical method um, that's used quite a lot in meteorology because it's great with like three dimensional, four dimensional data at picking out the dominant patterns. So you basically feed the EOF analysis, a lot of data, and I'll pick out the most prominent patterns in the atmosphere. And we fed it a lot of data about tornado days, days the tornadoes form, and it picked out these patterns. Um, so some of the patterns were ones you would normally think about. So one we called a moist static stability pattern, which basically means there was a moist lower atmosphere and a drier atmosphere above it. Um, there was also a one that we called an geostrophic circulation mode. Oh, we're really geeking um, so out today. I love it. This is this is this is weather geek nirvana. Here, keep going. <laughs> so this was related to the jet stream, essentially. So the jet stream, um, it it um, due to the jet stream, there's these geostrophic circulations that set up, and you get rising motion in some locations and sinking motion in others. So. It was basically the jet stream configuration. 
Um, and then, yeah, so there were a couple interesting ones and one was a dry line mode, which we do definitely associate with tornadoes, but I was surprised to see the dry line mode was prevalent in all four regions of our study. So that was like the Plains regions, the Southeast and the Midwest regions. Yeah. Um, and then a last one that popped out, um, was a stratosphere forcing mode. So it's sort of like a coupling between the stratosphere and upper troposphere. Um, so we identified this as it, it's really, um, sort of what you think of, uh, I'm trying to think of a way to describe this without getting too geeky. No, we, can get, well, no, we weren't, we, <laughs> are, we, we encourage geeky. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So these like, um, a lot of these really strong cold fronts, they're associated with a, like a folding of the ah, tropopause. Yes. There's this like holding um, in the upper atmosphere and that gets coupled. It's like dynamically a very dynamic environment. Mm -hmm. So that's basically what this stratospheric, for stratospheric forcing mode. Yeah. And let me just for the, you know, the, the listeners and viewers. So, you know, we live in the troposphere and then there's a another atmosphere layer above us called the stratosphere. And there's this sort of transition zone between those called the tropopause. And you can certainly, you know, in, in meteorology, sometimes there are exchanges that happen between the stratospheric air, which tends to be warmer, uh, more stable. Uh, and you get these tropospheric or uh, tropopause folds or, or stratospheric sort of intrusions into the lower tropo troposphere as well. And so there's some really interesting dynamical forcing and things that happen that Dr. Zick just talked to us about. Uh, I also wanted to go sort of briefly kind of break down she mentioned the term dry line. Uh, a dry line is a boundary, almost like a front, but instead of differences in temperature, it's a difference between different air masses of moisture. So on either side of the dry line, the temperatures may actually be fairly similar, but the moisture, there's, you know, one side may be, may be far more moist than the other side. And because of those density differences, they can serve as convergence zones or, or forcing for storms and convection that we see uh, here in this country. So it's really interesting that you noted the the, the dry line mode popped out. Were, were, there, were any of these modes particularly surprising to you as a meteorologist? Um, I mean, so the stratospheric forcing mode, that was the reason the status, the, these statisticians reached out to me because they, they were describing it as this warm stratosphere. Um, and they were like, what is this? We really need some help interpreting it. And, you know, after further thought, I think it makes a lot of sense, but we don't necessarily think of a stratospheric coupling or stratospheric forcing when we think of tornadoes. Um, yes. So it was a little bit surprising. Um, and then, yeah, I think the dry line mode, I never really thought of it. I think of the dry line as being an important feature in the Southern Plains and the Southeast US too. But I don't think of it as much in like the Midwest, like in Illinois, Indiana. So that was surprising to me as well. You know, it's interesting because you're up. I guess I one more thing. Oh, sorry. No, please, go, go I right ahead. I thought it was really cool that the EOF picked out that like jet stream configuration as one of the forcings. And um, in some of the regions, it particularly picked out like a coupled jet streak. So there'd be two jet streaks, right, in the vicinity, and they're configured in such a way that the region was in like a region where you would see rising motion. Mm -hmm. 
you know, forcing from both jet streaks. So I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, and again, we have that. This is going on my sort of possibly top 10 geekiest episodes uh, watch, and we love it. So let's break down jet streams. So you heard uh, Dr. Zick talk about jet streams, which is sort of the sort of narrow, fast-moving channel of air and upper levels of our atmosphere, typically a dividing boundary between sort of net colder air to the north or poleward of the jet stream and warmer air southward or tr to the tr tropic side of the jet stream. But there are often these sort of little embedded enhanced regions of fast winds, and we call those jet streaks. And you heard Dr. Zig talk about these jet streaks. And these jet streaks can be interesting little additional dynamic forcing because to get convection or deep convection in the atmosphere, you want rising motion, but then you want that air to be evacuated at the top of the atmosphere and so that, that creates an efficient sort of forcing and dynamic forcing mechanism so these jet streaks and these ageostrophic flows that you heard Dr. Zick talk about can if they're lined up in certain ways can really enhance the forcing that leads to tornado formation now and you're right tornado formation can be a that's certainly a whole nother podcast episode but you're you're getting we're, I think this this episode's really illustrating the importance of sort of larger scale forcing and then we come down to the meso scale and then get down to the convective and tornado scale. So if you don't understand how challenging predicting for and, and forecasting tornadoes are, hopefully this gives you a sense of that. Now, where, uh, well, you know, but I'm going to hold that question and take our next break. And then I'll come back and ask Dr. Zick the big question. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs. A gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
and we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast again. Uh, one of our geekiest episodes of the year. Uh, Dr. Zick's breaking down and, and hopefully introducing all of you weather geeks to some terms that maybe you weren't familiar with. Things like frontogenesis and dry lines and uh, stratospheric intrusions and tropopause poles and all of these good things that you know, we've learned about over the years in our meteorology courses and that I still teach and Dr. Zick, Zick teaches respectively at the University of Georgia and Virginia Tech. But the big question is, you've done this research, you found these modes, what's the so what? What's next in terms of where you might take a study like this? Yeah, so, you know, they were in this study, the the lead authors and the, the two statistics um, co-authors, they were really interested in um, how there were like trends in these synoptic modes. Um, so they were looking at what are the long-term trends in these? So we know, for instance, that like a dry line mode is associated with tornadoes. What is the long-term trend in these dry line modes? Um, so yeah, they, they did some analysis and I assisted there. Um, and, you know, we found, for instance, that the dry line mode is becoming more frequent in some of these Midwestern regions, and that was contributing to there being more tornado supporting environments in the Midwest, for instance. So I'm really, um, one question about the dry line, because typically when we teach about the dry line, it really is sort of a Southwestern Texas, Oklahoma-ish feature because you've got this moist air coming off the Gulf of Mexico, then you have drier, hot air coming off the Mexican plateau in the southwest part of the uh, region. And so you end up with this convergence zone, if you will, or this boundary between that trop that maritime tropical air and that uh, continental tropical air. What are the mechanisms that are setting up the moisture gradient further into the Midwest? I mean, I, I guess what I'm asking is how, I, I, I can sort of see how we get that moisture gradient down in Texas and, and Oklahoma, but how is it getting set up there? Or have you really dug into that yet? We haven't dug into it. Um, I think it's a good question for sure. Um, I mean, I guess my interpretation was that this dry line mode, like the dry line is essentially persisting a little farther north okay. and east. But there's probably some underlying reasons for that or something. Um, yeah. So I, I haven't dug into that particular mode and looked at like individual events to dissect why this is happening. I just know that the prevalence was increasing. Re really, really fascinating study. Um, I want to kind of pivot before we have to let you go. Are you, again, I think this is not your core research, as you mentioned. I'm, most of your research is focused in tropical areas and so forth. So what new studies or things are you sort of looking at now from your own lens as a researcher? Yeah, so most of my research is tropical. Um, I am doing one tornado study that we just started with an undergraduate student. We got some funding from our college and we're applying some of my shape analysis to look at supercells. So we're going to be measuring the shapes of supercells and like the amount of um, curvature in the hook echo to to compare supercells that produce tornadoes and supercells that don't produce tornadoes. So sort of see if we can discriminate between them just based on the shape of the supercell and some other features too. Like um, there's some interesting 
features of supercells that show up in dual polarimetric data from radar. So we'll be we'll be looking at this shape analysis, see how that goes. Um, it's pretty preliminary, um, but I'm excited about it. And so we just, uh, we have another geeky term on the table, dual polarimetric. Dual so absolutely. So many of us, and I'm a radar guy, that's where I cut my teeth at Florida State in grad school on radar. So I think many people are familiar with Doppler radar, which is a radar that not only can tell us where it's raining, but it can see the motion of the particles in the clouds and we can get some sense of motion. So that's how many of our tornadoes are worn for today because we see the sheer um, the sheer velocity or the radial velocities, I should say, associated with possible rotation. The next great upgrade that we've seen in our U.S. weather radar system is dual polarimetric radar, which is this sort of, yeah, it allows us to see because of the sort of the sort of orientation of the beams that go out there. It's horizontal and vertical, and because of the various interactions with scattering particles or backscattering particles in the clouds, we can learn a lot of things about um, things like rain intensity or perhaps even the the phase of the precipitation. Is it hail? Is it rain? Is it snow particles? Even seeing tornado debris and something called the correlation coefficient. Uh, something I will be teaching quite a bit in spring in my radar meteorology class at the University of Georgia, so I'm glad glad you mentioned it. Dr. Zick, where can people find out more about you and your research? Do you have any websites or social media sites out there? Yeah, um, so I'm fairly active on Twitter slash X. Um, I'm more active during the hurricane season as we follow, you know, active storms. I guess the Northern hemi Hemisphere hurricane season and the North Atlantic in particular. Um, my my handle is S-E-Zick. Um, so my initials and then my last name. And I'm also on, I'm on Mastodon and Blue Sky. I've been trying out some of these other yeah, places. Yeah, same. I'm on Blue Sky, but I can't, honestly, I just can't quite really get into it. So I, I'm still on X and it's kind of weird to say you're on X. It sounds like some kind of, so it's so weird. I'm so used to saying I'm on Twitter, but now we have to say I'm on X, but then people are like, really, you need to get help from that. But in real life. I know, and reality, they're not their posts. Yeah, it's just, yeah, a, it's just a weird environment. posts now. They're not tweets, they're posts. But nevertheless, I know Dr. Zick is a good one. Before I get, get out of here, I do want to sort of leverage this opportunity because you mentioned that you have a background in both meteorology and geography. And it's interesting because my background's in meteorology, but on my home department, the University of Georgia is in geography. Talk about how those two disciplines work together. Yeah, um, so it's, it's not un uncommon. I feel like a lot of meteorology degree programs at universities are actually housed in other departments. So I did my undergraduate at Rutgers University and the meteorology degree is in the Department of Environmental Sciences. Um, so some of our bachelor's degree programs in meteorology are in geography programs. And it's a nice partnership. Um, Geographers consider, they, they told me when I did my, I went from my PhD in geography, they're like, you're a geographer. I was like a geographer already just because I was a meteorologist. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a nice partnership. Um, meteorology is very spatial um, and you know, it's a physical geography discipline essentially. In some ways you can look at it that way. And then there's also important implications on the human side for human geography, sort of weather and society. So we get to, you know, 
cover these, this sort of coursework in our, for our undergraduate meteorology majors, they take a human geography course, they can intro to human geography and intro to physical geography. And they also take a lot of GIS coursework. So geospatial information, information science, and that's another tool that they can add to their resume. So it's a really good partnership. Yeah, I, yeah, I would agree as well. Again, I come out of a very traditional meteorology department at Florida State University, but we've so, and, and now direct or lead a program at University of Georgia that's very much atmospheric sciences and meteorology, but uh, leverages our connections to geospatial, GIS thinking, and human geography, social sciences as well. So I, I just wanted you to speak to that because I think it's really where things are moving in terms of more interdisciplinarity and thinking about problems from not just one silo discipline lens. And so I think I think you really embody that. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. All right. Thanks, Marshall. That's great. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and be sure to tune in next time on Weather Geeks. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.